Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. We're going to continue our series on, on prayer this morning. And uh, is anybody else, anybody else ever get those really strange phone calls where it's like a, it shows up a local number, you're just like, oh no, I better answer this. And it's somebody trying to say you something or, or get you to buy into that, remind you that cruise you took three years ago that you didn't take. Or uh, lower, pay off your student loans you don't have or you lower the interest on your credit card you don't have. My favorite one is you pick it up and you go, hello, and there's nobody there. Hello, and then the lady goes, oh, oh, hi, this is Rachel. (laughs) I talked to that thing for 10 minutes before I realized it was a a, a recording one day. (laughs) But then there's those, uh, (laughs) what about this one? You get the phone call and it's actually a real person and it's supposed to be somebody you know, but you don't know who it is. And they just start talking. They say, hey, man, uh," and they just go on. And after a few minutes, you know, it would be really rude to say, who is this? But the, the point I'm getting at is, who's on the other end sometimes determines on how you talk to them, doesn't it? If it's your mother-in-law, you talk to her different than if it's your buddy up the holler giving you a call. The same's true <laughs> in our prayer life. Somebody said that our understanding of what God is really like Shapes everything else in your life, including your prayer. Of course, this morning we're talking about who are you talking to when you talk to God. Last week we shared a few misconceptions about prayer. Four of them, actually. There's also some misconceptions that we have about God. A lot of people have some really strange views on what God is actually like. Sometimes we think God's just a really mean God. Like he's sitting up there just waiting for us to fail so he can strike us with lightning or, or judge us or make something bad happen to us. Some people think God is kind of like the Santa Claus God. He's making a list of everything you do right and everything you do wrong and that someday he's going to tally it all up and see which one outweighs the other. Of course, that's not true. Some of us think that God is just so distant and so holy that he's absolutely impossible for us to to know him or or, or definitely impossible for us to ever please him and make him happy. I remember as a child, I had a, you know, probably Easton's age or younger, I had this idea of what God was like. I don't know if anybody else experienced this, but as a church kid, you hear people talk, you hear the preacher talk about God, other people talk about God, and you begin to form this, I guess, concept of what God's like. And I don't remember much about him other than I'm, I thought he was really big. Whatever he was like, he had to be really big to do all the stuff that he does. A.W. Tozer said, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. I guess that's why I am the way I am when I thought God was such a big God. So what is God like? <laughs> He's like a lot of things. The Bible's endless on its descriptions of what God's like. We don't even have time to begin to cover those. But I was uh, witnessing to a couple of people one night. I was in my truck, 
And I was trying to tell them about Jesus. They were on the road. And I was describing Jesus, you know, telling these particular people how Jesus would help them. And by this time, Easton, his seat was behind mine. And he'd rolled his window down. And he was listening to all this. And he, finally he says, he's also invisible. <laughs> I'm not sure that helps right now, buddy, but you're right. <laughs> but we could describe God, we could describe Jesus in a lot of ways. But today I want you to understand that above anything else, he's good. He's good. God may be great. God may be almighty. He may be powerful. But if God isn't good, then what are we doing here? If God's not good, why even bother to pray? But since God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, we know four things about prayer. Number one, because God is always good, that means God's plans for my life will always be good. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29. Just to remind you, I want to point out verses 11 and 12. Jeremiah said, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Their plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And then verse 12 says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. You see, in Scripture we find a direct connection between God's purpose, God's plan for you, and prayer. They're divinely and uniquely connected. Just to remind you, in case you didn't get it a couple weeks ago, God does have a plan for your life. Amen? For every person in here, God has a purpose and a plan for you. God doesn't make mistakes. We make a lot of mistakes, and we have a lot of accidents, but when God made you, when He created you, He did not make a mistake. There's no happy accidents, as Bob Ross would like to think. But God's plan, God's purpose, everything that God does is on purpose. God doesn't just make things, I guess things don't just happen to God. God makes things happen. And God's plan for our lives, it's one revealed through God's Word, if you ever wonder where to find it. But it's realized through prayer. That's when things become more clear. So, if we're living in God's plan, if we're living out the divine purpose that God has for our life, it's probably going to be a pretty good life, isn't it? Now, that doesn't mean things, bad things aren't going to happen. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it, it means we're going to have a really blessed, happy, joyful life if we're living in accordance to God's plan and purpose for our life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. King David said, literally, that God has his goodness stored up for those that fear him. It's like he just keeps a, a big supply of all of these wonderful blessings. His goodness, as King David says, just, just waiting to share those with us, to pour them out on us. He's planned all the good things out for your life. Think about that. According to James, every good gift comes from above. And if God has a plan for your life, God has already planned every single good thing across the 80 or 100 years of your life that's going to happen to you. Isn't that incredible? Now, what if we miss God's plan? And this is typically what happens, if we're honest. God has this plan, and we do okay for a little while, and then we veer off. 
and we miss God's plan. That means we miss a lot of really good things, right? And we miss it for a whole host of reasons. Maybe we failed to pray. Maybe we made some poor choices. Maybe we didn't seek God's will for our life. And we miss all this stuff. And we have a hard time reconciling God's good plan to all the bad things that happen in life. It goes back to that age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is evil present in a world when God is so good and God's in control of all things? A lot of us end up thinking things like, well, I've made so many mistakes, God must finally be getting even with me. He's paying me back for all the things that I've done. Or we simply just come to the conclusion, God's just not fair. I'm trying to do right. I've done a lot of good. Still bad things are happening to me. God just isn't fair. He has his picks that he likes, and apparently I'm one that he does not. Rick Warren put it this way. He said, God's not mad at you, though. He's mad about you. I know God isn't fair. If you thought that, you're correct. Life isn't fair. And the way that I know that he's not fair is because he took all of my punishment, all of my guilt, all of my filthiness, and he dumped it on his only son, Jesus Christ. I deserved it. That would have been fair. But he didn't treat me fairly. He took all of my disgrace and put it on himself. But bad things do happen in a broken world. There's, like I said, poor decisions that are made. It's not always us, but somebody in our life makes a poor decision. Well, guess what? It affects us. There's catastrophes. It's the facts of living in a sin-riddled universe. But it doesn't make God a bad God. He's a good God. He's a good father with a good plan. The Apostle Paul talked about it in these words in Romans chapter 8. He said, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God causes things to happen for who? A very specific group of people, those who love Him and are called according to his purpose. Now, Paul didn't say all things are good, did he? We like to pull this verse out of the hat and make ourselves feel good. But Paul didn't say only good things are going to happen. He says God causes everything to work together for the good. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly, they're going to happen. But they all work together for our good. We know there's bad stuff in life. There's tough stuff. A lot of it is caused from our... Hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. And if you're dealing with any of those three, please come to Celebrate Recovery on Thursday night. Matter of fact, I'll say this. Everybody in here is dealing with a hurt, a habit, and a hang-up, and anybody could, could benefit from being at CR on Thursday night. Slip me a 20 after a while, Dan, and uh, we'll take care of that invitation. <laughs> but we wonder why, why? Why does God allow all these things? Why would God allow this person to hurt me and me to carry this baggage for so many years? Why would I lose this? All of these things. Why not, if God is so good and He's in control and He's so powerful, why not just get rid of all the bad and let's just have heaven on earth? <laughs> well, the truth is God's more interested in your character than in your comfort. Think about when you leave this world. The only thing that you get to take with you to heaven is you. You can have every comfort 
and every wonderful thing that this life has to offer. And you're going to leave all of that behind. You could have everything that life has to offer and be a very rotten person. And when you get to heaven, you're going to look pretty bad. But God, I think, wants in some way to prepare us for what heaven's going to be like. But because He's good, His plans are for my life will always be good. And let's move on. This is going to make more sense as we go on. The second thing we know is God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. Psalm 103, 10 through 12 says, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us <laughs> as we deserve. Thank God for that, right? For His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Again, I said I don't get what I deserve because of what Jesus has done for me. Because He took that upon Himself. God did the unthinkable when He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Taking our sin upon Himself. But not only that, the, the psalmist says He's cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. That means it's gone. We carry that guilt around for a long time, a lot of us. We keep bringing it back up. God says it's gone. I've forgiven you because of what I've done for you through my Son. It's time that we begin to forgive ourselves. That's the hard part. God forgives us not because we deserve it. It's not that we've been good enough to earn God's forgiveness. We could never do enough to earn God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. Our salvation rests in who God is, not what we do. But because God is good, the Bible teaches while we were still sinners, right? Christ died for us. So what does all this have to do with prayer? I know you're, you're, you're beginning to wonder. It tells me we can bring anything at all before God. The deep dark secrets of our past, the hurts that we haven't shared with anybody in our life, we can bring that before the Lord and trust Him with it. It tells me we can always come back. If we've drifted away, we can always, like the prodigal son, find our way back home. Because God is good. 1 John 1, 8-9 reminds us, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And all of that is possible because of Jesus Christ. Now here's the third point. Because God is always good, God puts my good above His own. Now that sounds a little bit heretical. I, I get it. Theologians are looking at me weird. How does God put our good above His own? God is always out for His own glory. I get it. I'm talking about when He came to this earth. This is the heart of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of really great stories out there. Uh, a lot of stories where people rally together to fight for the king. People die fighting for the king and his kingdom, protecting the queen, saving the princess. There's no story where the king dies for the peasants other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The king of kings left his throne and came into our dark world to give His life a ransom for us. It's what sets Christianity apart. We deserve 
Eternal condemnation and punishment. But God says, I love you enough that I will die for you and take your punishment upon myself. But not only that, not only are we declared not guilty before God, He actually imputes the righteousness of Christ upon us. He says, not only are you not guilty, you're actually really good. You're righteous through Jesus. It's incredible. That's why we want to grow our church. It's to show more people out there, there's a God that loves them. We're not just sinners in the hands of an angry God. So, again, why go so deep talking about the gospel in a series about prayer? It's because the gospel has everything to do with prayer. If you don't get the gospel, you're not going to get prayer. Prayer is made possible through the cross. Through Christ's death on the cross, the veil between unholy man and a holy, holy, holy God was torn. We have access to the throne room of heaven because of the gospel of Christ. Also, if God loves you enough to die for you, I think He loves you enough to hear your prayers and to take the time to listen and even answer. And not only answer, but answer in a way that is best for you, for your life. He puts you above His own comfort in this life. Now, I want to dive into something we hit briefly on last week. Next point, because God is always good, because He always has a good plan for your life because he puts my good above his own next point is he does not say yes to every request he answers every prayer we said that last week sometimes it's no like a good parent sometimes you have to say no I have to tell Easton no sometimes when we go to Walmart I'd be broke and then I couldn't feed the kids so it's for his good that I don't buy him every toy Sometimes when God tells us no later in life, we'll find out why. And that's happened to me a few times. But sometimes we'll never know why until we get to heaven. And it'll suddenly make sense. Sometimes God tells us to wait. Yeah, that's a good request, Tyler. Timing's not right, though. Sometimes we need to wait because maybe the timing's okay. Maybe it's a good request. Maybe we're just not ready. And so God says, wait. Sometimes God just says, go for it. You're ready. Jesus reminded us in Luke chapter 11. He said, you fathers, if, you ask, if your children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? And he goes on to say, your father is so much better than you are. Your father in heaven. And he knows exactly what you need before you even ask him for it. I remember when I was about 16, I wanted a truck so bad. I wanted to be able to drive around and go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do. And I just thought that would be the greatest thing. So I asked mom and dad, you know, help me get a truck. I'll give you a little money. You give me a little money. I'll make a deal. I didn't know what all came with a truck. I didn't know you had to buy gas, do maintenance, get this thing they call insurance. <laughs> I hadn't heard of that before. So I asked for this. And all this other stuff came with it. There was a burden. Now, I figured a way out, out of this. When I ran out of gas and didn't have any money, I'd call Caitlin and say, Hey, my, my truck's broke down. Can you give me a ride to school today? She thought I was, you know, just had a truck problem. But I just didn't have no gas money. 
But sometimes, sometimes we just don't know what we're asking God for. We think we got it all figured out. God, here's what we need. Here's what I need. I want this. I need this. Give it to me, God. But God knows what's best for us. And I think this is what true faith is all about. It's trusting God, trusting that God knows best. It's easy to do when life's real good. Life's great. Yeah, man, God, you got this figured out. When life falls apart, is it? do we really trust Him then? When everything in life's falling apart, can we really stop and sing, God, you're a good, good Father? It's who you are. Is God still good when you lose your job? Is He still good when you get the diagnosis that you don't want? Is He still good when you suddenly lose that that loved one? Is He still good when your marriage falls apart? When your kids go astray? Yeah. He's still good. Does bad things happening and continuing to happen mean that prayer doesn't work? No. No. If God says no or God tells me to wait, does that mean I need to stop praying? No. Sometimes it may not be that God wants to change my situation. Think about this. We're praying for God to remove this situation or change this set of circumstances. And when God says no, we don't need to stop praying because that may not be what God knows is best for us. God may not want to change my situation, but through His grace, He wants my situation to change me. That's why we keep praying when we feel like we don't get an answer. Because at some point, it's very likely that if we keep seeking and trusting and praying, our prayers will shift and change a little bit, won't they? Again, God's not as interested in our comfort as He is our character. How much do we learn from pleasure? It's nice. Not a lot of character built when things are going great, though. started hitting the gym again this week. I don't even know if I want to share this illustration. <laughs> it hurt. That's the point. It hurt. I'm getting better, but the day after, I felt like I was falling apart. I don't know if I'm getting older or just fatter, but it, it, it hurt me. But it's making me better. Amen? <laughs> and God sometimes has to make us uncomfortable to make us better. Final point. Because God's always good. He invites us to live with Him forever. Think about that as a parent. How many parents would invite their children not only to live with them, but to live with them forever? That's not right, is it? <laughs> but that's exactly what God the Father does for us children. God not only cares about us in this life, He does. Sometimes we think He don't, but God cares about every little minute detail in your life. But He also extremely, oh, I can't even begin to put it in words, the way God wants us to be with Him, not only in a relationship during this life, but He wants to spend forever with us. Eternity. When you begin to pray with heaven in mind, 
Your prayer life will shift dramatically. It will change. Your prayers will become more passionate, more powerful. You begin to pray with an eternal perspective in mind. You begin to pray not only for things around you to change and get better, you begin to pray that you would be more prepared for heaven when God calls you home. You begin to pray for others in your life to be there with you. You begin to pray for heaven to come to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Satan's not really all that concerned about our plans and our budgets and our grand ideas. But you know what I think scares Satan? When God's people begin to pray. I think he, be, he realizes when we pray, we have the king on the line. And I think he's scared of the king. I think he's scared of God. Now sometimes I think when we pray, we forget who it is we're talking to. That we are talking not only to our Father, we're talking to the king of heaven and earth. The creator, the ruler of all things and all people and all circumstances, the one who has the power over every single thing. And we get to just have a conversation with him. Isn't that incredible? I want you to understand, again, I said there's no way to even begin to describe the king, to describe God. There's so many ways that Scripture describes him, but I want to leave you with this. These are some beautiful words. I think it's best said by a part of a sermon that was preached by a man named Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. His mom knew he was going to be a preacher, didn't he? <laughs> if your name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, you're going to be a preacher. But listen to his words. He described the king of heaven so perfectly. He said this. He said, he's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He says, my king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful, imperially powerful, and impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of Himself. He's august and He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. The highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the core and the necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of every good that you choose to call Him. <laughs> He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. But there's more. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried, thank God. He sympathizes with, and He saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. 
He cleansed the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, and the gateway of glory. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He says, <laughs> I wish I could describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. <laughs> he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. He says, you can't get Him out of your mind and you can't get Him off of your hand. You can't outlive Him, but you can't live without Him. He said the Pharisees could not stand Him, but they found out they could not stop Him. Pilate could not find any fault in him, but Herod could not kill him. Death could not handle him, and the grave could not hold him. Amen? And when you pray, that's who you've got on the line. That's who you're talking to. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about the greatest need you've ever faced in your life, or you're just... Jumping online to say, it's been a pretty good day, Lord. Thank you for that. He's listening. And He cares. Because He's good. The only question I have for you this morning is, do you know Him? Do you know the one we just described? Because if you know Him, those words resonate with your heart. You're like, yep, that's my King. That's my God. That's my Lord you're talking about. But if you've never experienced Him, then you're, you're wondering who we're talking about this morning. And if you don't know Him, if you don't have a relationship with Him, I want to invite you just to come up here and pray this morning. As we said last week, Prophet Isaiah said, the Lord is simply waiting for you to come not so He can smack you around and, and straighten you up and get you in line, but so He can show you His love and His compassion. Would you stand with us as we close in prayer this morning? Father, we sometimes take for granted who we're talking to. And God, I think because of that, Lord, sometimes we don't ask enough of you. We definitely don't do enough for you. And God, I just pray that you would Remind us, Lord, of how and who you really are. God, let us see you for who you are in all your splendor and all your glory. And God, if there's someone here that's never truly experienced you, Lord, they, they don't know what you're like. God, I pray that this morning that would all change. God, maybe they don't know what to pray. They don't know how salvation works. God, I just pray that you... Speak to them, Lord. Your Spirit would guide them. They, they know all they need to do really is just, as the song says, say, Lord, I need you. And that simple faith, just trusting, Lord, that you are who the Bible says that you are. 
God, I pray you'd begin to change our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.